One of the Christmas traditions we have in our family is that uh, we decorate the tree, we pull out all the decorations, somebody goes up and down the ladder up into the attic and back down with all of this heavy stuff and then the girls get to do all of the decorating part and that's kind of the, the distribution of duties and responsibilities but once we get all the decorations down then we get to kind of start to put the lights on the tree and then the ornaments on the tree. And the most important part of the entire Christmas tree decoration process and house decoration process is we put on Home Alone and it plays in the background while we're decorating our house. Now, my wife and our daughter, she, they both know every word to the Home Alone movie. And so not only do we get to watch Home Alone again, but we get to hear them recite the lines to Home Alone over and over and over. And this year, as we were decorating the tree, I was sort of paying attention and kind of doing the tree decoration stuff. And then I heard kind of in the background this conversation that happens. It's this one particular scene in the movie and I was like, oh, that'll preach. Like, that's good. So I had to, like, pause the movie, rewind it, go back and push play again. You know, of course, my family's, like, rolling their eyes because everything is, like, a possible sermon and a pers- possible sermon illustration. And I was like, no, 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 go back, go back, go back. And so I was sharing the other night with my wife that I was going to use this scene from Home Alone. And I was quoting to her the scene that I'm going to use. And she goes, well, if you're going to do it, at least quote it right. So... I printed out the transcript of this particular scene so that I could get it right. Because if not, I'm going to hear about it when I get home. Now, this particular scene that stood out to me is a conversation at, towards the end of the movie between Kevin and Old Man Marley. And Kevin is sitting there in the church and Old Man Marley comes and sits down next to him. And this is kind of part of their conversation. They've kind of exchanged pleasantries. Hello, how are you? And then Marley says to Kevin, I came to hear my granddaughter sing because I can't come hear her tonight. And then Kevin looks at him and says, you have plans? And Marley says, no, I'm not welcome. And Kevin says, at church? And then Marley responds back to Kevin, you're always welcome at church. I'm not welcome with my son. Years back, before you and your family moved on the block, I had an argument with my son. Kevin asks, how old is he? Marley says, he's grown up. We lost our tempers, and I said I didn't care to see him anymore. He said the same, and we haven't spoken to each other since. And then Kevin asks, if you miss him, why don't you call him? And then Marley says, I'm afraid if I call, he won't talk to me. And Kevin says, well, how do you know? And Marley says, I don't know. I'm just afraid he won't. And Kevin says, no offense, but aren't you a little old to be afraid? And then Marley says, you can be old for a lot of things. You're never too old to be afraid. And I thought, well, isn't that true? You're never too old to be afraid. You see, for the last week and the next couple of weeks, we are in a sermon series called Watching and Waiting. And what we are talking about is in the season where we are watching and waiting for Christmas to come and ultimately for Christ to come again, There are unwanted guests in our holiday celebrations. And last week we talked about the unwanted guest of loss. And today we're going to talk about the unwanted guest of fear. And as old man Marley shared, you're never too old to be afraid. 
Now, for some of you, you're nodding along in agreement because you feel fear frequently. It's emotion, it's a sensation that you're familiar with. But others of you, you're like, well, this is going to be a sermon where I can make a grocery list or I can do some other things because fear is not something I struggle with. And I would actually disagree. I actually think that maybe of all of the emotions that we wrestle with, fear is the one that's most common. Now, for us, for many of us, we just don't call it fear. We use other words like, well, I'm worried or I'm feeling anxious or I've kind of got this like tightness in my chest or I've been thinking a lot about or I'm trying to problem solve or uh, it's anticipation. I just want to be prepared. I just want to make sure things go well. I just, it's because I care about my family and my kids and so I'm doing these things. We have all of these other words and names and labels and descriptions for what is ultimately, if you kind of peel back all of the layers and get rid of all of the wrapping paper, was ultimately fear. Now, maybe those emotions we can tap into, but for others of us, we can't even get to the emotions, but we're familiar with all of the behavior. And for most of us, whether we realize it or not, fear is a driving kind of influence behind so much of our behavior. Now, maybe your family observes you or your friends observe you and they say, well, you know her. She's, she just likes it her way. Or they're a little controlling. Or, well, if I want it to go right, I've got to do it myself. You can't trust anybody else, and so you have to take control of yourself. Or you notice that I'm just frustrated because of the people aren't doing things a certain way or aren't responding a certain way. Or I just, it has, it, it's upon me to make sure everything turns out a certain way and so we see things like anger and bitterness or criticism or perfectionism or control ultimately though it's all just a front for fear a fear that is lurking in our hearts and in our minds now what's interesting kind of about the place that we find ourselves in the world is our world is despite what news outlets will tell you is safer than it's ever been Yet we feel more anxious and more worried than at any point in human history. In fact, psychologists, after doing some research, have come to the conclusion that the average teenager carries the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Parents, if that doesn't get your attention, it should. The average teenager carries the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. There are all sorts of, even if it's not physical things to be afraid of, there are all sorts of psychological and emotional and relational and existential worries and anxieties and fears we carry. And for some of us, it's, it's not a fear of like something bad specifically happening, but maybe we're f- afraid of something that's not going to happen, an opportunity that won't materialize or a relationship that will never come into existence or success that we have dreamed about for our family or for our children never materializing. Sometimes it's a, it's a longing for or a desire for something that we fear not coming to pass. For others of us, we worry about our standing in relationships. We worry about our place in the world. We worry about whether or not we're actually going to ever get the approval of a parent or a coach or that key person in our life long ago that we've always been working for. We hear their voices in our head and we're constantly striving because we fear we'll never make something of ourselves. 
There's all sorts of things that actually drive us that we're afraid of, things that we're hoping to avoid or things that we're hoping to ensure happen. Maybe it's a health prognosis. It's a report that you got recently. It's the financial statement that you read last week. Or maybe you look at the world and you just see all of the good reasons why the world isn't safe or we shouldn't feel safe in the world. And so it's probably not surprising, given this landscape, that over any other topic and any other command in all of Scripture, Scripture talks about fear the most. In fact, there's over a hundred commands from Old Testament to New in Scripture of some shape or form of do not be afraid, fear not, do not worry, do not be anxious, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed, place trust in, be of good courage, be of good cheer, on and on and on Scripture goes because it recognizes that maybe the thing we wrestle with most, even if we don't want to use the language, is fear. And fear causes us to do all sorts of things. You know, there's kind of that, those three typical responses to fear. Like if you're walking out on the street and you see a dog come out from around the corner and it looks mean and vicious and it's approaching you at a high rate of speed, you know, there's those three typical responses to fear, fight, flight, or freeze. We do this in our own life as well. Like for some of us, when we start to feel afraid, we just get more aggressive. We get angry, we get loud, we get big, we take control. We're the dominant, most powerful force in our world. That's the fight response manifesting in us. We think that's just a skill set that we've developed over time that's helped us navigate or be successful in the world. But really, if you peel back the layers, it's just a response to fears. Others of us, it's flight. It may not mean that we actually run or leave, that, oh, that may be the case, but we have this kind of frenetic busyness in our lives. We're always moving, we're always going, we're always finding something to occupy our time or some new thing to be interested in because if we ever sit still long enough, we'll have to sit with all of the fears and all of the anxieties and all of the worries about the things that might happen or might not happen that we want. And then others of us, it's just a freeze. We try to numb out, and we find all sorts of ways to numb out through food or through substance or through relationship, or we just we lose hours just in the constant scroll because those little dopamine hits feel good and they kind of distract us from the reality of life. Or we're those people that Netflix has to ask, are you still watching? Because we've been watching for a really long time because it's just safer in this world or maybe we retreat to gaming or some type of escapism that just helps us avoid all of the hard realities of the world. And so what old man Marley says is true. You're never too old to be afraid. And so now that we're all bummed and sitting in all of the things that we're actually afraid about, the good news is, is that the commands in Scripture to not be afraid aren't these uh, commands for a little magic wand or a switch that we can flip. This idea that, okay, thanks, God, I'll just stop being afraid of all of the things. No, it actually gets to the heart of why we feel such fear. You see, psychologists have done a lot of studies about why it feels like we're more afraid than ever before. And there's kind of three 
like dominant themes and trends about why our world feels and seems more fearful than ever before. And the first is because of the dwindling social connections that we have in our life. Even though we are more connected, we're more isolated, we're more disconnected from deep, meaningful relationships, all of the trends and all of the data shows that people have fewer good, long, deep relationships than they've ever had at any point in history. We move away from families or we're disconnected from our families. We have casual relationships and lots of those, but we don't have any deep friendships, people that we can share our hopes and our dreams and our fears with. And so because of this kind of increasing isolation, we're left to navigate the burdens of all of the fears, worries, and anxieties on our own. The other thing that's compounding this is anywhere you turn, you turn on a device, you turn on your computer, you turn on the news, and you are reminded that the world is worse than it's ever been, whether that's actually true or not. Because if you pay attention to how bad things are and how, how even worse things are getting, then you'll be inclined to feed the ad dollar machine that's motivating all of our social media and all of our news agencies. And so we're constantly bombarded by all of the ways that things are terrible. It's kind of that old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. And so we're constantly being reminded about how awful and scary and terrifying the world should be. And then we become afraid of things we didn't even know existed that we should now be afraid about, right? And then the last factor is in our current kind of pop psychology age, we're convinced that hardship and discomfort are foreign things that aren't supposed to be a part of life and aren't supposed to be a part of reality. We're addicted to this feel-good-ism. We've bought into this kind of Western mentality that life is always supposed to go well and life is always supposed to work for us. And if we don't feel good in the moment and if we're not constantly happy, that means that there's something wrong in life. And so we work to eliminate any of the things that cause us to not feel good and to not feel happy. And we've lost the ability to be resilient, to persevere, to fight through difficulty and hardship. We always are searching for the path of least resistance because that promotes this feel-goodism that we long for in our lives. But it's into this that I think Scripture points us towards a different path. And it's into this that we have the hope to not live in a place of fear our whole lives. Because scripture promises us something different. And this is what I think is so powerful about the hundred plus commands to fear not. Almost all of them, almost all of these commands to not be afraid, to not be anxious, to not worry, are connected to a promise. And maybe the most famous of all comes from a passage in Isaiah. This is written in a time when the people of Israel were in captivity. They were away from their homelands. Everything in life has gone wrong, and they have no idea if life will ever be good again. And so God speaks through the prophet Isaiah to his people, and he gives them this command to not be afraid that is coupled with this promise, and I want us to look at it this morning. He says, do not fear. And the reason, they're connected together. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Why? For I am with you. 
do not be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. All throughout Scripture, the reason that we are commanded to let go of fear is because we are promised the presence of God. We are promised that God will be with us. And as we get into the Christmas story in a couple of weeks, we will see that one of the names given to Jesus, God who has taken on flesh, is the name Emmanuel, which is translated into God with us. And so if this distant God who promises to guide us and work with us and to be active in our life isn't enough, God shows up in human form and says, now you have tangible evidence that I'm with you. And then in the end of scriptures, Jesus ascends. He promises the gift of his Holy Spirit so that God is continually with us in our lives. All of the fears that we feel, we have to contend with where is God in the equation? And for many of us, the reason, and this is, I think, one of the things that we'll see in scripture the reason that we're racked with all of this fear is because we think it's our responsibility to solve all of this. We find and try to create all of these places where we're safe. We build our own little mini refuges and strongholds and we try to hide in those. Or we put our hopes and our trusts in things that we think will protect us from all of the hard parts of life, all of the dangers and threats in the world. And so for some of us, it's careerism. Others of us, it's relationships. For some of us, it's our appearance. It's our ability to be beautiful or to be desirable. Others, it's wealth or power or access. Some of us, it's just comfort. But these are things that we think, if I can have these, if I can build this up, this will protect me from all of the things that we're afraid of in life. And what ends up happening is as we buy into those myths and as we buy into those false promises of security, that these other things will protect us, we begin to place our trust in them. We begin to depend in them. And then inevitably, we find ourselves at some point in life when those things don't protect us like they thought that they would. They don't protect us in the ways that they promised that they would. The relationship ends. You get laid off. You lose your health despite all of your best efforts. You lose a loved one. Something happens that comes out of the blue on a random Tuesday afternoon that knocks you sideways and it leaves you wondering, well, where is God in all of this? Because isn't that a funny pivot that we make? We put our trust in all of these other things and then when those things fail to protect us, we get mad at God. God, how could you let this happen? I was thinking that all of my ability to be successful in life was going to protect me and it didn't and now I'm mad at you, God. And so then we think, well, now I can't trust God, even though we didn't really trust in God in the first place. And I think this is one of the things that's missing and one of the reasons that we navigate life in such a fearful way is misplaced trust. This is what one of the psalmists writes when he is wrestling with this kind of fight with fear. He says, when I am afraid, this is written to God, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What would that look like for us if that was the move we made? When we start to feel fear, what would it look like if the move was to put our trust in God? 
to not double down on all of the things that we've trusted in previously, trusted in how perfect that we can be or how mistake-free we can live our life or how beautiful we can make our world or comfortable we can live or how successful we can be, all of the things that seem to be what we initially gravitate towards and grab for. But what if in the moments that start to feel fearful, anxious, what if we begin to trust God? This is how the rest of the conversation with old man Marley goes. I think it gives us a clue. So the last thing that old man Marley says is you're never too old to be afraid. And then Kevin says, that's true. I was afraid of our basement. It's dark. There's weird stuff down there and it smells funny. That sort of thing. It bothered me for years. And then Marley says, basements are like that. And Kevin said, I made myself go down to do some laundry, and I found out it's not so bad. I worried about it, but if you turn on the lights, it's no big deal. Marley, what's your point, Kevin? My point is, you should call your son. Marley, what if he won't talk to me? Kevin, at least you'll know. Then you can stop worrying about it. You won't have to be afraid anymore. I think there are two responses to fear that we need to pay attention to. Because this is not a sermon about how fear is bad and you shouldn't be afraid and if you're afraid, you're weak and you just need to like toughen up and get on with it. And that's not what this is about. Fear is a reliable indicator that we feel risk or threatened in some way, shape, or form. What happens though is when this fear goes unacknowledged, we spend our lives battling this fear but never addressing the fear. Does that distinction make sense? We spend all our lives in reaction to or in response to the fears, the worries, anxieties that we feel, but we never actually go down into the basement and turn on the lights and do something about it. We just let it move kind of in our lives as kind of the puppet master behind the scenes, kind of controlling all of our actions or our responses without actually acknowledging the ways that we're afraid. And so I wonder what it would look like for us if we were people who started to drag things into the light. I was having a conversation this week with somebody over coffee and we were talking about how through some of the challenges that they were experiencing, the shift that happened when they begin to start sharing about it with other people. This kind of goes back to one of the reasons we are, live in such a fearful world because of this social disconnection and isolation that we have. And this person was saying how what a difference it's made just being able to talk about it with close loved ones and being able to seek counsel and guidance and advice because previously they had been trying to manage all of the things that they were afraid of on their own but never really naming or acknowledging kind of the fight and the battle that they were in. And I wonder what it would look like for us first if we begin to ask the question, what is it that I'm afraid of? And likely what will have to happen is you'll have to ask that question several times. What am I afraid of? Okay, bum, 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 whatever the answer is. Well, why am I afraid of this? Well, then why am I afraid of that? And what happens if that's true? And what about that am I afraid of? And you'll get several layers in, and then you'll kind of get to the key things and the core things and what I call the thing behind the thing. Because ultimately, fear is about threatening something that we love or we want to protect or is important to us or to ourselves. And so if, for example, 
you're worried about your social status in school, well, you spend a lot of time being afraid that people aren't going to like you. Well, why? Because what happens if people don't like you? Then you'll get excluded. Okay? And why are you afraid of that? Well, if I get excluded, then that'll hurt. And I don't want to be the one who's left out. Or I don't want to be the one who's not invited to the party. Or I don't want to be the one who gets made fun of or who's on the outside looking in. Well, why is that? Well, if that's true, then what does that mean about my worth and value as a person? And now I'm afraid that I'm actually not lovable or likable because if, I, if I'm not liked by my friends at school, then that's just further reinforcement that in my heart of hearts, I'm not that lovable in general. You see how you start pulling back the layers and you start to get to the things that really matter. And then you have to contend with the fear that what if I'm not lovable? And then once you can name that, then you can start to make some progress. Because then you ask the next question. It's like, okay, with the things that I'm afraid of, what can I, what can I do about it? What's mine to do with this? For some of us, it might just be naming. You might just need to name the things that you're afraid of. And keep going. Name them all, drag them all out into the light. And then you'll be able to identify, okay, in these things, what's mine to do? I'm worried my children won't be successful. Okay, well, what does that mean? And then you keep going and you say, well, what's mine to do? Well, I can encourage them, I can support them. But at some point, you'll get to the end of what's yours to do. And then this is where the next piece comes in. This is when you invite God into the conversation. You recognize that this is not ours to do by ourselves. And this is the advice and the encouragement that Paul gives to this church in Philippi, and he says these words. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Now, what I love about this formula is it's hard to feel a lot of fear in the presence of gratitude. I'm not saying you can't feel any fear, but it's hard to be anxious and worried about lots of things when you are inundated with all of the good things that are in your life. It's like an ability to turn on the lights. The more light switches you turn on your house, in your house when it's dark, the harder it is to be afraid. And gratitude is one of those things that turns on the lights in our house. God, I'm afraid about this and this and this and this. What if you flip it and say, God, I'm so grateful for this. I'm so grateful I have healthy kids. I'm so grateful for a job that I enjoy. I'm so grateful for the home that we have. I'm so grateful for the life that I get to live. I'm so grateful for any of the abilities that I have in my body, for the health that I have. And you start to shift the perspective and the scale of all of the good stuff that you do have. Instead of focusing exclusively on all of the things that you lack or all of the things that you fear about or all the things that you're worried about. It doesn't mean that they're not real and they're not significant but it puts them in perspective with everything else. Because fear is like a magnifying glass. It enlarges whatever it's focused on. And for some of us, we got that magnifying glass right up to our eye. And so everything we see feels huge. But as we begin to express gratitude, we start to recognize the proper perspective on the things that we're afraid of. And then, instead of worrying about it, 
Identify what you can do about it, what's yours to do in it, and then give it to God. Just say, God, I'm going to let this go, and I'm going to trust that you're at work in this. And then here's the second part of the, of the verse. It says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, here's what this verse does not say. Once you pray about it, God will hear you and then grant you all of your requests and everything will be good in your life. Doesn't matter which translation of this verse you look at, that's not what it says. But there is something that happens to us when we pray about things. There's something that's done inside of us. When we let go, when we name it, when we identify what's ours to do and we give it over to God, there is a swapping out effect from fear to peace. Knowing that we're only in control of so much and the rest we've asked God to do something about. Now, it doesn't mean that God's going to do it. It may be the case that God doesn't grant any of your prayers. But that's not the point of prayer. The point of prayer is the ability to start placing our trust in God. Saying, God, I depend on you for the good things in my life. And gosh, look at all, look at all of them. Here's some things I'm worried about. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my ability to provide for my family financially. I'm worried about that I haven't found anybody that I want to spend my life with. I'm worried about my parents' health and about how their life is going to go and am I going to be able to navigate caring for them well. I'm worried that I don't have the resources or the time or the efforts or the energies to see that through. I'm worried about my kids. I'm worried that they're not going to be happy in life. I'm worried that I'm not parenting them well. I'm worried that I don't have enough information or I'm good enough or smart enough to figure all of this out. I'm worried that I've taken on more than I can handle or manage. I'm worried about, I'm worried about, I'm worried about. God, I'm asking you to step in. Will you give me peace? Will you help me to trust you? Will you help me to know that some of the things that I'm afraid of are valid and may come to pass, but that I can trust in your presence as I navigate those things? Because we have all experienced things in life that we prayed wouldn't happen or things that we prayed would happen that didn't. And we're all on the other side of them. It doesn't mean it was easy. But it does mean that they're survivable. And what a difference that could look like if God, if we acknowledge God's presence in them, God's presence with us. Because this is the swap that happens in our hearts, not in our lives. There's difference. It's not saying, and God will transform your circumstances. What he's saying is, he will transform your hearts, he will guard your heart and your mind, he will protect you from the unending onslaught of all of the fears and all of the worries and all of the anxieties. If we spend our time acknowledging what we're afraid of, dragging it into the light, and then inviting God to be with us in the middle of all of it. And so, as we continue in this holiday season, friends, yes, we are never too old to be afraid. But we also have to remember that God's with us. And so because of that, we don't have to be afraid. I pray that it may be so for us today and in the weeks to come. Will you join me in prayer? Gracious God, 
You are the giver of all good things. And it's in you we find our life and we find peace and we find joy. So God, help us to focus on your presence, on your ability to walk with us through the hard points in life. God, give us the courage to face the future unafraid, knowing that whatever may come and whatever we experience, you are there with us. We pray this in your name. Amen.